It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to a Thursday edition of our podcast as we become closer and closer to Christmas, I guess. And then the new year, 2024, if we're lucky enough to hang on that long. Mary Langston, I hope that you are enjoying the holiday season. I feel quite confident knowing you that you are. You you would enjoy like a, a miserable season, so I'm sure you're enjoying holiday season. But how are you doing? I'm doing fine and we're enjoying it. I just can't believe it's already here. I mean, it seemed like the year flew by. What do you think? Uh, the older you get, the faster it goes, which um, I'm oh, sure no. there's, a, there's a yeah, there's a philosophy there that I don't really, uh, I, maybe just the less of something you have, the more you treasure it. That might be mm-hmm. it too. That's well said. I just remember when I was a kid that it just seemed like, you know, the week before classes ended for Christmas break just seems so long. It just seemed to like last a month and, you, you, you know, spend a lot of your time early in life wishing your life away, wishing you were out of school, wishing you were an adult, wishing you were 18. And then you reach a point and you don't wish for it to go fast anymore. That's right. I like how you said that you treasure it more. Uh, you should. Um, anything you have less of, you should you should treasure more. And, mm-hmm. and so, but unfortunately that is a lesson that, uh, it's hard to learn it until you live it. So mm-hmm. somebody tried to tell I'm sure people told me that when I was young and I didn't pay any attention to them. Well, I know it. I, I remember, I remember my mom and my grandmother both telling me not to wish my life away. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just wish you were older, enjoy kind of where you are. But you know, when you're, 16 and want to be independent and want to be whatever you just kind of wish those years away and then you wake up and they're gone that's right we have to really be all where we are so that's a well said trey and i hope everyone's having a good holiday season and everyone's having a great week so far i guess we better start with our questions trey we have some good ones are you ready i think i am i hope i am Okay, well, good. We don't have your lawyer present, but we'll go through it. We'll start with a question from Teresa, who writes, why are there so many Congress people in Washington that can't get along? You know, Teresa, if I had I not been there, I would be asking the exact same question. Um, So I'm going to foray into something that is not my strength, uh, which is math. There are 435 members of the House. I wonder as we sit here, how many we could name, even like, I mean, I think I knew the names of almost all of my colleagues while I was there, but but maybe even not while I was there. There's been rapid turnover since I left. When I ask people at the grocery store or wherever I am, and I do get this question from time to time, the truth is we'd be lucky to name 20. Maybe you could name 50 out of 435. The rest, for the most part, get along quite well. They don't vote the same, but they get along well. 
the higher up you go, the less incentive there is to get along. And and I'll give you an example. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who is now the leader of the Democrat Party, the leader of the Democrat Party, then if they ever retake the House, he'll be the Speaker of the House. When I worked with Hakeem, we were both, I don't want to say backbenchers, but we weren't in leadership. We were just regular members of a committee. He was on judiciary. Um, I admired the way he prepared. Uh, you could tell that he was a very good courtroom lawyer, even if I didn't agree with anything that came out of his mouth. I admired the way he prepared and the way he presented himself, lawyer to lawyer. And we had a fantastic working relationship. We rarely, if ever, voted the same. But there was no acrimony. There was no... Um, I remember we were flying together to Charlotte, sitting beside one another on the plane. And you just sit there and think, okay, you got a family, I got a family. You got children, I got children. You got a story on how you got here and who didn't think you were going to make it and who maybe didn't help you make it. There's so much more in common than we have not in common. But in fairness to him, the higher up you go, the less reward there is for that. You're not expected to say nice things about the other side. Kevin McCarthy was not expected to say nice things about Democrat leaders. The ranking member of a committee is not expected to say nice things about the chairperson of the committee. The regular line members of Congress, most of whom we cannot name, do get along. It's the ones that we see on television that have either figured out that acrimony and anger and fear and strife and conflict is good for them politically. So that's what we get a steady dose of. I don't, I don't want to minimize redistricting. Redistricting is also part of it. These districts become so homogenous that, you know, we draw these districts where you know, 80% of the folk, well, well, let's do this. Let's compare the district I'm in with the district that is represented by, say, Rashida Tlaib. I mean, Rashida Tlaib wouldn't get 10 votes in my district. I wouldn't get five in hers. There, There is no commonality. The districts are drawn for, for overwhelming Democrat or Republican success. They're not drawn to make people have to get along with each other and get stuff done. I mean, I, I, every now and again, maybe I would be stopped at the grocery store and say, how, how come y'all can't get along better? Every now and again. But more often, like 10 to 1, I would be stopped and asked, why don't you guys fight more? So it's not the getting along that, that the primary voters were looking for. It was the fighting. So you got redistricting. You have the fact that anger and conflict and fear uh, are are popular. So here's the question I would have for us, Teresa. You ask why so many members of Congress can't get along. I would ask us, is that what we want? Is that the message we're sending? That we want people who are, quote, fighters. I don't even consider it fighting. I mean, I see a guy like Dan Crenshaw who wears an eye patch because of fighting. That that's real fighting. That I, I watched POWs. I served in the house with a POW who couldn't put on a jacket without help. He was a prisoner of war. Couldn't put on his jacket without help. Somebody had to help him. 
That's fighting. Going on Twitter and insulting someone and usually misspelling words in the process is not fighting. So we got to have a real kind of candid conversation with ourselves. Are we getting what we deserve with our elected officials? Are we getting what we want? Is that what we want? I remember towards the end, I had some you know, successful businessmen who were kind of lamenting the very thing that you are asking about, Teresa, which is how did we get here? And I remember asking them, they're all very sophisticated, very successful businessmen. I said, well, how many of them, I mean, how many of you donate to candidates? Well, they all raised their hand. Stop. Stop doing it. If they don't both act and vote the way you want them to, then stop. This notion that, well, I've got to put up with this kind of professional wrestling nonsense to get the kind of representation that I want. No, you do not. I mean, wh why would we not have higher expectations for ourselves? I would want a representative that both votes and acts the way that I want he or she to vote and act. And not to act like some soap opera Instagram influencer that I could get by switching over and watching a reality television. I just I do not think our our leaders of yesteryear did not act like that. So the question becomes, are we getting what we deserve or are we getting what we demand? And I think we ought to demand a little more. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Our next question is from Terry in Florida, who writes, during congressional budget negotiations, What's the reason the existing debt ceiling is not the limiting factor for increasing the spending? Oh, Terry, the old dreaded debt ceiling, which is really not a ceiling at all. It's a recommendation. It's a very loose recommendation. Mm. What Terry from the great state of Florida is making reference to is we've had like a statutory debt ceiling, a borrowing limit. And the way to think about this is like the maximum on your credit card. You may have a credit card that has a, a borrowing capacity of $1,000 or $10,000, and that's the limit. That is the most that you can put on that card. If you go for $1,001, the card's going to be denied. So Congress has that too. Congress has this borrowing limit. But what if you have already spent beyond that limit? And they do it every year. So your choice is to not honor your debt. And again, this is not future spending. This is what you have already spent. Your choices are to not honor the debt, which is not a good look. It's also not right. Or your choice is to say, okay, we're not going to go through this again. We said the maximum is, you know, now we're up to what, $30 trillion? Let, let, let's just say we said, okay, no more. No more. We are not going to borrow any more money. Then you got to make some really tough calls on what you are going to cut. Because even in prosperous years, when revenue is up 
tax revenue is up, they still spend more than they bring in. So this debt ceiling is like a every so often check-in to see how bad we are doing. And then there will invariably be a group that says, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling anymore. What I find interesting is some members of that group are also unwilling to talk about the very thing that drives the debt in the first place. They are more than willing to talk about a department that maybe all of us agree should go away. Yeah, let me pick a department. We can all pick a department that we don't think uh, that's a proper exercise of government or we think it costs too much or spends too much, and we can agree it should go away. But even if it went away, you're still going to borrow more than you bring in until you deal with the main drivers of our debt, which is what we call mandatory spending, this Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, interest on the debt, then you factor in the military, which is the for, foremost responsibility of government is national security. We run a debt. We run a deficit, an annual deficit every year, even if we were to zero out what we call discretionary spending. So what kind of makes me scratch my head is I see these fights. I see these people on the floor of the house and they are fighting and more power to them, fighting for fiscal responsibility. And yet so few of them talk about the these absolutely non-negotiables that you have to deal with. They want to talk about spending on the war in Ukraine. That's fine. Have a debate about spending on the war in Ukraine. You can have a debate about all foreign aid. Have a debate about whether the FBI should be stuck in an old office building or build a new one in Maryland, Virginia. Have all of those conversations. Just understand that at the end of those conversations, unless you have discussed mandatory spending, you are still going to spend more this year than you bring in. So the debt ceiling is this it's this forced check-in where we look at one another and say, okay, well, we've, ex- we, we've exceeded the spending limit on the credit card again, but the money's spent. So it's immoral not to pay the debt. How about we make sure we don't overspend again and we will not have the conversation. It is always more popular to spend than it is to cut. I mean, I I remember, I guess it was 2011, 2012, Speaker of the House sent us home to kind of over August break to kind of talk to our constituents about what needs to be done to make Social Security, you know, fiscally solid for future generations. And one of those things would be that, you know, people my age have to work six more months or maybe nine more months or God forbid, 12 more months before you're eligible for Social Security. I cannot tell you how chilly a reception that idea got. I mean, if you said, hey, look, I need you to work six more months, Trey, so your kids and grandkids and future generations can have a more solvent Social Security. And without digressing into Social Security, when that program came into existence, we weren't supposed to live 87 years. Our life expectancies weren't what they are now. So if you qualify at 65 and you're supposed to die at 70, then you get money for five years. If you qualify at 65 and you now die at 90, then you're getting money for 25 years. And Medicare is an even better example. 
there's a cap on what you pay into Medicare, but there's no cap on what Medicare has to pay out for you. So until we have those conversations, then you're going to have debt and deficit issues. And yes, we agree the debt limit is $30 trillion. But if the current spending, now that also will be breached in short order. And so, you know, again, I've taken too long to answer this question. If it's a Republican president, Republicans are expected to raise the debt ceiling. If it's a Democrat president, Democrats are expected to raise the debt ceiling. I don't remember Republicans ever extracting concessions from Republican presidents in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. It's almost as if, well, if our side does it, it's okay. But when the other side gets ready to do it, we're really going to draw a line in the sand. And that's how you get $30 trillion in debt. And that's how you get our friends like Terry from Florida who are asking a very legitimate question, which is, why do we even have a debt ceiling if nobody honors it? I remember, Trey, there was some offices when I was interning on the Hill and they had this device that would sit in their office and it would be like the debt. It'd be like a clock that had the debt on it and it would continuously move. Do you remember those? I do. That, that, it's, um, yeah, there's a national debt calculator and it never goes down. It's always mm -hmm. going up and it's going up. I mean, it's one thing in the throes of a pandemic when the economy is suffering, you, you might, or war, you might expect to spend more than you bring in. But even in times of fiscal prosperity, we spend more than we bring in. I mean, you you had, how many people stopped by our office? I mean, people stop by all the time and the overwhelming majority of them um, have new ideas. They don't like have ideas on how to stop things we're currently doing. They have ideas on how we should start things that we're not doing, all of which spends money. I mean, look, seniors are entitled to a cost of living adjustment for their Social Security. Soldiers deserve pay raises. I, cops deserve pay raises. Teachers deserve pay raises, although most of them are paid by the state and not the federal government. You know, you can't expect, I mean, inflation is clawing away at the at the at the real earning power of some people's salaries. It's just this this well, it really gets down to what you think government's job is. And I have a more limited view of what government's job is. A lot of people have a very expansive view of it. If you have an expansive view of what government's job is, then you're going to be spending a lot of money, which means you're going to want to raise taxes, which in some instances creates a disincentive for people to continue working. When, when you're, you know, you add it all up together, state, local, federal taxes, when close to half of what you make is paid in taxes, it can get demoralizing. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that. And we'll end on a lighter note as a sports question from Jean, who writes, I'm a Holy Cross football fan and was watching your show. Did I hear you say it's not like they were playing Holy Cross when speaking about the Georgia loss to Alabama? Oh, my Lord. Gene, <laughs> um, if it's not on tape, then I will deny it. <laughs> But I have a vague recollection that maybe I did say that. 
And so let me begin by apologizing to anyone who pulls for the Holy Cross Crusaders. Mm. I think I think they had a winning record this year. I think even a couple of the games they lost were close, like maybe to Army it was close, and Boston College it was close. They have a great football team. It's a great school. I was not seeking to minimize Holy mm. Cross in any way. I was really more speaking to the fact that Georgia was undefeated for multiple seasons. They lost to a top four football team by a field goal and they dropped from first to sixth. What I probably should have said is it's not like Georgia was playing slippery rock or I should have picked like a really, 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 really super small school and not Holy Cross. So lesson learned, Gene, a fan of the Holy Cross Crusaders. And I also want to say this. I want to put in a plug. Look, everybody loves watching Michigan play Ohio State and Texas play Oklahoma and Oregon play Washington, Alabama, Georgia. Everybody loves those games. But there's another, I want to say level of football. There's another brand of football, Division Two, II, Division Three. They have their championship games, too. They have playoffs. And you get teams like South Dakota State playing either North Dakota, North Dakota State. You got South Dakota. You've got Montana. You got Montana State. You got Albany. You've got the Colorado School of Mines. Did you even know they had a football team, Mary Langston? I didn't, but now I do. And they're playing for the national championship in their division. And these games are not on, like, national television. You got to go online and find them. But... There's a purity and an authenticity and to the most of us cannot relate to Alabama players or Georgia players that are six four, you know, two eighty and run like gazelles. Mm-hmm. Most of us cannot relate to that. I'm not even sure we can relate to like players that play for the Colorado School of Mines, but it's closer. I mean, these are kids who just play because of the love of the game, and they're not big television contracts, and it's probably not a lot of NIL money. But these schools, and I know Holy Cross is not in those divisions, but if you want to see like the purity of sport and team teamwork and and all the things that make us love sports, you should watch watch some of these games that don't get the don't get the national buildup, don't get the television time. I mean, Army-Navy is one of my favorite games of the year. It was not particularly exciting this year. Um, to quote one of my friends, it looked it looked like, you know, two not great football teams playing a very close game. But that's not the only reason we watch it. I mean, we watch it for other reasons. So my lesson learned, I am going to pick on, and you know what? I mean, look, I love South Carolina, but South Carolina barely beat Jacksonville State this year. And I have been sitting in the stands when South Carolina lost to the Citadel. And I think I was sitting in the stands when South Carolina lost to Furman when I was a kid. I think I was sitting in the stands when South Carolina lost to Appalachian State. So it's not like, I think New Mexico State beat Auburn this year. I think I'm right at that. Or North North Texas State, somebody beat Auburn this year. Mm -hmm. So it's not like these smaller schools can't beat the bigger schools. My point was that Georgia lost to a top four team by a field goal with some pretty good players out or hurt. 
and they dropped from first to sixth in the playoff rankings. But I'm not going to pick on Holy Cross anymore because now I have a friend named Gene who is a Holy Cross football fan, and I'm going to like pick on – my dad used to use this Slippery Rock. Uh, Slippery Rock's a real name of a school. It may be a teacher school, or maybe in the old days it was a teacher school, but I, I just need to pick on a, like a small football team that really would not ever be playing Georgia or Alabama. But it won't be Holy Cross in the future, I can tell you that. <laughs> Well, well said, Trey. And that's all the questions we have for today. Well, it's a joy and it's a treat. And I look forward to it every week, Mary Langston. Mm-hmm. And I hope you have a great week. And uh, God willing, we'll check in uh, next week. Happy holidays. That, that sounds like a good plan. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, y'all. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.